If this is your first Sunday with us, a very warm welcome to you. If you're watching on the live stream for the first time, likewise, a warm welcome to you. We began a new series of Sunday morning studies together two weeks ago based on the Sermon on the Mount, which you heard a few moments ago. This series is is entitled Developing a Courageous Faith, and we produced a bookmark to go along with it. If you don't have one of these, you can simply go online, download it, print it off, put it in your Bible as a marker. And of course, it has the passages laid out in accordance with the Sundays through August, September, and into October. And then on the back, there are four or five questions to help you grow in your faith. So that is a very practical tool designed for this purpose and you'll find it helpful if you use that on Sunday mornings to follow up as we go. And so this morning we are beginning our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. And once again if you're watching for the first time on Sunday mornings you're going to need a Bible, possibly a pen or a notepad of some kind to follow through where we're going. Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. This week, millions of our children across the nation went back to school. And you heard me say earlier that some went back to e-learning one or two days a week in class, the rest learning from home, others are in class each day. And I was speaking to a young mom this week who told me about her two boys. One is 12, the other is 14. The 12-year-old was having a hard time settling down after the summer holidays. He was a little flustered and frustrated and wasn't quite back into learning mode. And so his mum, recognizing all of that, said to him, Take a break for five minutes. Go wash your hands and face, freshen up a bit. Come back. In five minutes, when you're ready to sit down and learn, you're ready to actually engage. It was a science lesson, an e-learning. She said, when you're ready to come back and engage, and try not to be so obstinate. So he got up, went away, came back a few minutes later, and his brother stuck his head in his room and said, are you okay? And mom was just coming close to the bedroom top of the stairs, and she could hear them chatting. And the 12-year-old turned to his brother and said, There's something I'm supposed to stop doing, but I don't know what it is. He was supposed to stop being obstinate, but he had no idea what obstinate meant. And he's kind of frustrated there. Now that for me was a humorous microcosm 
of what many of our kids are going through, what many of our teachers are going through. New format, new challenges, new environment. It's going to take some weeks to ease into it. But don't be surprised if on a Sunday morning as we begin to go deeper and deeper and deeper into what is the best known sermon in all of history, the Sermon on the Mount, that when you begin to take God's word seriously, when you begin to think it through, apply it to your own heart, apply it to your life and seek to live out your faith day by day, don't be surprised if God begins to do something special in your own heart and mind and soul. You may not know exactly what he's doing. He may be preparing you for something still to come. He may be refining and shaping you and speaking into your life and calling you to take your faith seriously and move to that deeper level in a relationship with him. And don't be surprised if that's exactly what happens here. One of the things you notice as we move through the Beatitudes is this. Beatitudes, of course, is an ecclesiastical term for blessed. And so over these past few Sundays, and again today, we are looking at passages that begin with blessed. And of course, we have blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And here is a bit of a, well, it's a bit of a warning, actually. Whenever you come to the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are not a list of bullet point guidelines. They're not a list of options of how to live the Christian life. It's not that we can look at number one and quite like that, so we think we'll follow number one. And number two, I'm not so sure, so I'm going to leave that. I'll go to number three. Number four, yeah, that's too hard. I'm going to leave that. I'll jump to number five. You don't have the option to pick and choose your way through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus delivered it in order to draw us closer to him. In order for us to have a refined Christian character. In fact, last Sunday, if you were with us, the refrain that ran out through our study was this. Who are you becoming Because who we are is always much more important than what we achieve. And so as we begin to go deeper and deeper this morning, begin to ask yourself, Father, how do these Beatitudes we're looking at today, how do they impact my life? How do I actually apply them? How do I live out my faith this week? And that's where we're going. And so we're beginning verse 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A couple of years ago, I was sitting on my front step with the four-year-old, she was four then, uh, who lives across the street, and she had a handful of coins. And we were working our way through the coins in her hand, and I was asking her, what coin is this, and what coin is that, and how much is it worth? And we were getting a mixed form of answers, and I was loving every second of it, of course. And we came to a penny. And I held the penny up and I said, how much is this worth? No idea. And at four, why would you? And then I said, do you know who's on the penny? 
And I looked at it and held it close and I said, I think it's a man's face. Do you know who it is? And she looked over at the penny and she held it up and I got the biggest smile and she said, it's my daddy. She could not possibly imagine anyone more important in her wee world than her daddy. And there he was on a coin. As you know, of course, it's Abraham Lincoln, but she didn't know that at the time. And to see that purity of heart, that innocence, was quite something. And to some extent, that's what you're seeing here. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, what does he mean when he talks about blessed are the pure in heart? Throughout Scripture, the heart symbolizes a number of important themes and issues. And way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, you read these words. When the prophet Ezekiel was looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come, and he talks of God entering into a relationship with his children through the Messiah, and Ezekiel writes of God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What a wonderful passage of scripture. And of course it encapsulates what happens when someone begins to be touched by God and they hear the gospel and they begin to respond to his word and they have that experience of God reaching out and touching them, heart and soul and mind and transforming their heart inside. And that's the experience they go through. Receive a new heart, new motivations, new disposition. Their character changes. Prayer becomes a priority. Worship is important. They fall in love with God. They have a relationship with him. And God takes out a heart that is cold and indifferent towards spiritual things. And he gives them a heart of flesh in tune with his. That's what's going on. And that's the forerunner to this passage. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because that's the heart Jesus is talking about. No wonder he's saying we are blessed. Further back in the Old Testament, in fact, in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel the prophet arrives at the home of David the shepherd boy. He speaks to David's father, whose name is Jesse. Samuel has come looking for a new king for the nation of Israel. And he's been told by God, go to Bethlehem, which would immediately ring a bell in your mind. Why Bethlehem? Well, we know why. And he goes to Bethlehem, he meets with Jesse, he says, I've come to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. God is working in and through this person's life. And so Jesse brings out all of his sons. But none of them is the one to be anointed. And Samuel looks at Jesse as if to say, this is a ridiculous question, and I'm slightly embarrassed to ask, but let me ask anyway, is there any chance you have other sons? And he said, yeah, I have young David. He's out looking after the sheep. And when David comes in, Samuel is immediately convicted of God that David 
is God's man. And Samuel says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So here's my question this morning. If you were able to sit down with God for 30 minutes just to talk, engage in deep, intimate, profound conversation, I suspect one of the questions he would ask you is this. How is your heart? Is it in tune with mine? Are you growing in your faith? Are you maturing in your faith? Are you excited and delighted in all that's taking place in your life? How would you answer? What would you say? Blessed are the pure in heart. The scripture talks about guarding the heart, protecting the heart. A heart that is clean and fresh and in tune with God, submissive and surrendered to his rule and reign in every aspect of your life. That is an exciting place to be. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. It's where a relationship with him grows deeper. It's the heart where character is refined and formed. It's where God is creating in you the person he longs for you to be. Do you protect that heart prayerfully? Do you feed it from his word? Are you growing in your faith? That's what's happened. But sometimes I think we find that hard, do we not? The book of Hebrews says this, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In other words, day by day by day, keep looking at him. Keep your vision sharp. But occasionally we find ourselves with a little penny. It doesn't have to be a penny. It could be anything in your life that you put in place of God and you examine it and you hold it up to the light and you look at the pattern and the color and the shape and the design and you hold it so close you can see nothing else. And your vision of Jesus is blurred and distorted and you've taken your eye off him. That's what's going on here. That's why Jesus is saying, Blessed is the pure in heart, for when you spend time with me, there is that renewed, reinforced encouragement. There's the equipping and strengthening of my spirit dwelling within to draw you into that deeper place and relationship with me. Guard your heart. Blessed is the heart. What does he say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, what does he mean by that? Two things, I think. And the first is this. When you have your eyes utterly focused on him, then you begin to see him in answered prayer. Then you begin to see him going when you're going on to college campus for the first time at a new year. Then you begin to see him at work in your career. Then you see him at work in your marriage. Then you see him at work in your future. 
because there's a pureness of heart. You're looking for him. You're expecting him. You're watching him walk with you each day. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our second beatitude today is not a comfortable beatitude. And what I'm about to say next will probably upset about 80% of you. It's not something I try to do. It's never intentional. But on Sunday mornings, we are obliged to take the Word of God seriously. We're obliged to apply it to our lives. We are responsible for living out our faith day by day by day. And from time to time, that means we're going to touch on difficult, controversial, sensitive issues. I would much rather shy away from it than go on to something else but it's right there in the passage. The beatitude is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Some of you will be tempted this morning to switch off. Those of you watching at home may in fact reach for your remote, turn off the television set or shut down the live stream, but I'd want to encourage you to hang on in there. Be tough. Don't give up, as uncomfortable as this is going to be. Over the last six months, as a country, we have faced significant challenges. Challenges of racial justice. Challenges towards our economy, our education, of course, our health, as we've wrestled with a global pandemic. Times we have wondered what on earth is going on. We have been fearful. We have been uncertain. In 10 weeks, we are about to have a presidential election. From time to time, we'll hear social and political commentators say that the level of animosity and personal loathing mixed with political expediency is at an unprecedented level. I think they're right. Now, we live in a nation of contrasting views. If I was to ask you this morning, what is your favorite food? You might immediately say seafood. Others would say steak. Some of you, like me, would say little of both, please. Others would say Chinese. Some might say Mexican. Others might say I'm a vegetarian. I I love it. If I was to ask you what's your favorite sport, You might look at our choir and think clearly these are sporty people. Look at them. Uh, The picture of health and well-being. And you might look at them and say, I suspect uh, runner, hiker, basketball, golf, tennis, all sorts of things may come to mind. They may be some of your favorite sports as well. We live in a world of contrasts. Contrasts are to be welcomed, encouraged. But when contrasting views morph into personal conflict at a cultural, political, social level, we need to be extremely careful. Extremely careful. 
in our current climate, culture teaches us two things that are simply not true. And the first is this, if you disagree with someone, you must, by definition, fear them or hate them. Let me say that again. A popular misconception is that if you disagree with someone, you either hate them or fear them. And it's not true. I suspect if you knew my views on all sorts of subjects, you would disagree with me on some of them. I'm sure you would. I don't believe for a minute you hate me or fear me. Second misconception is this. If you love someone, that means you agree with everything they believe and do. That's not true either. But there's no question. We live in a day and age, a political, cultural, social environment where contrast has moved to personal conflict, to hatred, animosity, loathing. Political debate, it would seem, as I observe it from the outside, is designed to demean someone else, to score political points, to marginalize and minimize that person rather than to engage in conversation in order that we might meet somewhere in the middle and work on what we can agree on. Contrast morphs into personal conflict. It is very easy to reject, to walk away. It takes courage to listen to engage, to pray for, to empathize with, to hear from folks who were brought up from a different background from you, whose experience in life is very different from yours. It's easy to minimize and marginalize. But Scripture tells us this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Towards the end of November, we will sit down with family and friends for Thanksgiving. Always so much fun, a day to be enjoyed and relaxed and celebrated. But I suspect around dinner tables across the nation, there will be a little tension when politics comes up. Is it worth losing a family member, having a fractured relationship for years to come in order to win a political point? Now, please don't misunderstand me. And let me tell you what I'm not asking you to do. Not for a moment am I asking you to surrender or to give up Strongly held political, social, cultural beliefs. That's not what I'm asking you to do. But what I am asking you to do is this. To live out your faith graciously, intentionally, prayerfully. Not to move from contrast to personal conflict. I'm asking you to please stay away 
stay away, hold at arm's length the toxic, cold discontent of hatred and loathing and condemnation. Please don't go there. We see enough of it on our screens in the evening. We hear enough of it on our radio in the day. We see enough of it in our culture and society. Please don't go there. Do the opposite. Be willing to engage, willing to listen, willing to wrestle with big issues of economy, health care, social justice, praying for folks you don't agree with sitting down and having lunch with them, doing the hard work of living out our Christian faith. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And please hear this. It's not simply that an election will take place in 10 weeks, because voting takes place every day when we go home at night and turn on only television channels we agree with, only the radio stations we agree with, only the social media that supports our views. The tough, hard, day-to-day work of living out our faith begins with us. A couple of years ago, I read statistics that I was not surprised at when it said two-thirds of those who vote Democrat do not have one Republican friend. Two-thirds. And the other side of that same coin was this. Two-thirds of Republicans don't have a single friend who's a Democrat. One nation under God is a reality. And should be. And change begins with us. It begins right in here in the deep recesses of our heart. When God begins to impress upon us and take us to that place. When he asks us in a pointed, inescapable, demanding manner. Who are you becoming? Who do you want to be? Blessed are the pure in heart who are willing to work hard and pray and make a difference. Because please hear me, change will not come through sports commentators, political analysts, those who look at culture and society. It begins with us. Praying for our nation, longing that God might heal us and bind us together and draw us into his purposes and give us a hope and a future. That's the hard work of living out the Beatitudes when we would rather dismiss and marginalize and demean and score political points. So easy, but achieves very little. Over the last few weeks, a number of folks have said to me, Richard, I am seriously concerned about the future of our country. And the quote I hear most often is, it has never been this bad. It has never been this bad. Rioting, 
looting, businesses set on fire, family businesses closing down, the economy struggling, lives senselessly lost in violence. Where are we going? What on earth is happening? It has never been this bad. But I would want to encourage you this morning and ask you to pause for a moment and look back down through the tunnel of time and in your imagination go back to December 1776 in the midst of a revolutionary war. It seemed as though we were fighting for a lost cause but the best was yet to come. In 1861 to 1865, we engaged in a civil war. If ever there was an oxymoron, it's a civil war. There is no such thing as civil war. Hundreds of thousands lost their lives. The country took almost a century to recover. It's never been so bad. I'm not so sure. December the 7th, 1941, Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and, of course, removed a significant part of their navy that morning, within two hours, seriously crippled our ability to defend ourselves in the Pacific Theater. Never been so bad, not so sure. 2001, 9-11, thousands, innocent people simply going to work, lost their life. Senseless act that achieved nothing. Never been so bad. I'm not so sure. Is it bad? Yes. Do we need to pray? Of course. Then what? Father, let the change begin with us resist resist the temptation to move from contrast to personal conflict do not indulge in loathing of others of disrespect of marginalizing and minimizing and refuse to go there why because I cannot help but wonder in terms of our national future. But the best is yet to come. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God at work. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for challenging us from this passage of Scripture this morning. Enable each one of us to grasp and understand the magnitude of the task that lies before us. Father, enter into our national life. Grant to political leaders a profound dependency on you. 
for those responsible for education and the economy and health service. Draw them close to you. Walk alongside them. And Father, begin the change in us and grant to us that deep, profound longing to make a difference in our lives, in our families' lives, in our neighborhood, in our city. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and grace towards us all these years. Continue to bless us, please, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.